Well, thank you guys for coming out another time. And I am excited about what I have to give you guys today. I had like three different thoughts, you know, kind of jumbled up and God somehow worked it all out. And I really think that it is going to hopefully change our life as far as changing our perspective on how we see everything and that we can really be a little different than what we have been. My aim, or our aim, I should say, with all of these is that somehow we walk out just a little bit more enhanced, that our view of God changes and we change, that we don't just come and listen and then keep doing the same thing that we've been doing because we can easily get caught up in doing the same thing and call it God and call ourselves saved. And really we're kind of far from what the Bible actually says. And um, when I was preparing this, I got rebuked so many times, good Lord, um, just in the process of me seeing how far I am from what God is actually calling for. So once again, I am coming with um, nothing that is new, scriptures that we probably could all quote. Most of y'all probably know where they're found. But um, it's just it's interesting when you take your time to really read slowly and digest each word, what kind of revelation you can really receive from something. And sometimes I believe that you know everything comes at the right time. Maybe I didn't get it before because I wasn't ready to get it, and now I'm ready to get it. So since you guys are here, I'm taking it. God then prepared you to be ready to receive it as well. So when I was thinking was, um, since we're, I'm very grateful that we're able to do this at the beginning of the year, where the beginning of the year is often a time where people get some type of unction to change themselves a little bit, to hopefully have the new year look better than the last year. So um, in thinking of that, I was thinking of how many new starts we have made, but we strategically never focus on what the real problem is. We camouflage it with a lot of other stuff and call it all kinds of stuff, but we never really peel back the onion enough. We get just to the place where maybe I'm pushing myself, but I'm not gonna really push, push myself because that would be just a little too much. Um, we often start right before we get to the original wound and the pain. I would think that a God that wants me so intimately would want to heal and know all of me. What makes us afraid to touch that thing if we believe that God is a healer and he wants to take the pain away? Or do we think that God just wants us to come camouflaged and do the things that we do, but getting deep, really getting into the root of who we are, he's okay with us staying the same? Do we think that we can be fully transformed while still holding on to the thing that tainted us from the beginning? So I want us to keep in our brain is the beginning of when did the tainting start? I want us to think of the injury that put the kink in our destiny plan. 
And why do we hold on to it with such a tight grip and with so much affection if it's the thing that harmed us? And I'm talking about like how we see the world, how we are in this world, the worldview that we have, our defense mechanisms that make us tick and cause us to be unauthentic. Is God pleased when we stay guarded and operating out of fear of the what if? What if they are not pure? What if they will hurt me? What if my fears are true and I will be abandoned again? What if God is not as good as I want him to be? Are you more than the sum of your fears? Or is your worldview just about your fears? And it's so easy for us to fool ourselves into believing we're okay. Because we know how to do that. We know how to mask it. We know how to operate. We go to work, we have family life, we have this church life. We know how to do it. But are we really okay? Have you dealt with the stuff? And are you really good with God? It is very important to constantly do a self-check, to really look at what you talk about, what you fuss about, your secret thoughts, your emotional state, and see where you need to grow and improve. Because see, the emotional state we can hide from everybody. We can be in com complete turmoil and no one knows it. We can be sad and broken and fragmented and no one ever has to see it. We can just put on whatever and go on about life and deep down inside, we are some broken people. And is that what God really wants? I think a lot of times we look at how far we've come and we have come far, right? Because a lot of people say, if you knew me then, look how much I've changed and all of that. And even if you do some real work, you really get down to some stuff and you start digging up some stuff and start trying to allow God to heal you. You can never just think about how far you came because if you get your view only on how far what you've accomplished, then you'll trip up because you'll be looking behind you because this is a lifelong journey. It never ends. It doesn't end till we die or the rapture takes place. So we can pat ourselves on the back, and I think we should when we do some work, when we get down and we jump over some hurdles. But we can never just get so concentrated on the hurdles that we've jumped over that we don't see the things that we still need to jump over. And the Lord knows that just dealing with me is a task within itself, that we really truly don't have much time to put into other people. I mean, I know we all say that, you know, stay in your own lane and all those kind of things we cliche about. And, but so much of our lives sometimes, especially when you're trying to hide from yourself, you fill it with other people. You fill it with other people's craziness. You, you start concentrating on all the wrong that's out there and, and you know, what's crazy because it's enough crazy. I mean, truly, we could fill ourselves with everyone's crazy but our own and occupy all our mind space. But that's keeping you from your goal and becoming who you need to be in God.
And we have to watch when our worldview becomes me against the world. When it's just you, you're just like, oh, I'm a fighter. It's just me, me and God. And then you throw God in there. I don't know how much you're really in there, but, you know, it feels good to say me and God. Um, so it's just you and God, and y'all going to do it together, and it's just... You have to be careful because that's not what God created. He never created for us to be just us and him. He created people. So when we can't operate functionally and healthy with other people, something's wrong. And I think that's the one element that we have truly missed in the church is that we forget the relational aspect is not just this. It's got to be horizontal. When, when God is just vertical, and it's just me and Jesus, and y'all, you and Jesus are just wonderful, right? Y'all can just do what you want to do. You can pray, 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 and hear, 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 and fast, and do all your little godly stuff. But if you can never take it here, then you've missed a huge part of Christ, because Christ was always horizontal. All his work was out to people, when we stop going out to people and we're afraid of human relations, something is wrong. We are not who God created us to be. So we're going to look at a few scriptures from this perspective in mind. Um, and we're looking at our mind, our worldview, how we see things. So I want us to, to analyze it from where we are not like Christ instead of how we are like him. I want us to think about how we're not like him. What he truly wants for us individually. And, and you have to make it individual because what he's asking of me versus what he's asking of each one of you guys is something different. We don't need to be like each other. You know, we're not going to look like each other. The way we affect this world is not going to be the same. We're going to all have different ministries. We're all going to have different tasks, different abilities. We need to start getting very comfortable in our difference instead of always trying to be the same. Because being the same means that I don't have to deal with anything. We can all find a cookie cutter to look like, and we can just stamp ourselves. Then we don't have to deal with none of our own crap. But he wants us to look at our stuff and dig that mess out and become better people. Okay? So let's go to Luke 17, 32. And this is Jesus speaking to us, right? He says, remember what happened to Lot's wife. If you grasp and cling to life on your terms, you'll lose it. But if you let that life go... You'll get life on God's terms. That's the message translation. And we often think of Lot's wife and always just sum her up as she loved the world. Turned, you know, turned, went back looking at the world. Don't be like that. Don't be inundated with the sins of this world and that kind of thing. And I'm not saying that's not true. I'm just going to put a different spin on it. But let's put ourselves in her shoes. Let's just be Lot's wife for a hot minute. And let's grab the last part of that story, which is in Genesis 19, 23. And it says, the sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zorah. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all of the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities. 
and what grew on the ground. But his wife from behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Now, this was very interesting to me because, you know, maybe I had not been reading properly, which just could be very, you know, true, right? But I never quite saw it like this. I always pictured, you know, the brimstone coming down, right? And it's burning, and they like getting out of there, and she looks back. No, they made it to safety. She was safe. Her and Lot was there together, safe. Now, you know she thought she was cool. They didn't made it. She didn't want with the husband. Your Lord didn't told us to get out. We didn't ran out. We went to the city. You said you was going to say, we there. I can't just see what just happened. Then y'all know good and well y'all would have looked. Now, I would have looked. Now, I'm just honest. I would have looked. And I don't know it was... Lord, does that mean that I didn't want to go to safety? I just, really, Jesus, I was just looking. Just a quick glance. And then she didn't even have a chance to say nothing. She couldn't explain her. Lord, I, I, I'm sorry. I mean, you just gone? Dang. That's deep. She whiz. But that just, that was really something to me. She was almost saved and then she perished quickly. She was told to never look at what was lost, to never glance at what he deemed to be vile. But again, honestly, it's extremely hard not to look. And we don't only look. We hold it, and we caress it, and we love it. Adams Clark commentary on this verse says, it is a proof that we have loved with a criminal affection, that which we leave it with grief and anxiety, though commanded by the Lord to abandon it. We love it with a criminal affection. And when we have to leave our stuff behind, we grieve it. We don't just leave it and walk away. We grieve it. We have anxiety to let it go. And I'm not talking about right now. I'm not talking about our sins that we love to quote. I'm talking about our emotions that we can't let go of. I'm talking about the worldview that we have become, what has become me. The totality of me now, who I represent myself to be, that God says is vow. But I say, but this is me. Who else am I going to be? I don't know how to operate in this world without that defense mechanism. I don't know how to see this world any different than the view I have. What are you asking of me, God? I mean, it's easy for me to stop maybe tipping the bottle if I'm an excessive drinker. Or I can put down the joint if I need to. I can stop those things much easier. Now, I'm not saying we don't struggle with those things, right? We struggle with behavioral sins as well. But we can release behavioral sins far easier than we can release the sins of the mind. 
The sins of the mind are the things we don't really allow God to penetrate. Because, see, I can stop doing that, yet be me. I can just find a new thing to pick up that seems a little cleaner, that nobody really would say, oh, you a sinner. We are commanded to move quickly and without delay. Do we really believe that delay may result in death? believe it we, we, we like that was for lot in her he's got grace over here we got the mercy I don't have to leave it quickly I can take my time and work it through and do all my rigmarole that I do to make myself feel like I'm moving towards God yet I know really it's just a ritualistic practice so should we sin that grace may abound? See, we know that one, don't we? We know that, God forbid. But we sin so that grace does abound. We hold on to the old way. Although we are supposed to be a new creation, we all need to answer the question, what is so important that you are willing to risk death? To hold on to it. What's so important to you? You had to really ask you, what, what? I'm really willing to hold on to this, even if it kills me. I think it's that important. Verse 33 states, if you hold on to your life, you will lose your life. And if you lose your life, you will gain your life that God wants for you. I think a part of the problem is that we don't believe that the life God wants to give us is better. Because we, we kind of, even though we got our craziness, right, and we got our dysfunction, and we know we got issues, but I know this life. I know how to function in this life. I know how to handle when the bumps come. Maybe not healthy, but I know how to handle them. I know how to dodge it. I know how to pack, put myself back together again when I need to. God, what do you want? And then you don't even tell me. You just tell me to lose my life. You tell me to give up everything that's me. And I'm just supposed to walk by faith. And watch you put new character on me. But you're not going to tell me how you're going to put the character on me. And then I'm supposed to believe is all for my good. No matter how he puts the character on me, it's all for my good. This is not easy. It's not easy. See, it's easy to clap your hands. It's easy to even sing some songs. And, 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 and it's, it's even easy to do, go into speaking in the tongues and do a little shouty shout. It's easy to do that. It is hard to really do what God says. Another question is, are we so untrusting 
that he really has a better life. So we just stick with what we do know? Are we just willing not to walk by faith? I mean, really, isn't our behavior and the way we've been, and we've been saved for some, some years now, aren't we just saying, God, the faith walk is not what I want? I don't want that one. I think you need to devise another plan of how to get us to heaven. Because the faith thing is, obviously, Lord, we're all struggling, so maybe, maybe this ain't possible. You know what I mean? This is what our behavior says to Christ. I don't know if we can do this. But then we got to believe that he wouldn't call us to do something that was impossible. Yet, Lord, I've been really trying <laughs> to do this. I think I'm trying. I think I'm trying. I think I'm putting forth effort. But have I appeased myself with my efforts that are not really godly efforts, but they're human efforts that I can say I did try. Go to Matthew 15 and 18. And in this we see Jesus telling them that it's the heart that makes us unclean. In last retreat, I dealt with the heart and, and how we need a, just another bypass of heart because our hearts are so foul. But 15, 18, 18 through 20, we're going to read. It says, but the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. And these are the things that make you ritually unclean. For from your heart come the evil ideas which lead you to kill and commit adultery and to do other immoral things, to rob and to lie and to slander others. These are the things that make you unclean. We concentrate on so much of the symptoms of the unclean heart, but not the fact that our heart is unclean. So we need to look deeper at the heart issue instead of just looking at the symptoms of a nasty heart. Go to Mark 7, 15 through 16. Same story, Mark just picks it up a little different way. And that's when the Pharisees was all mad when they was eating stuff they shouldn't have been eating, they felt. And he was saying, it's not, you know, what you put in your mouth, because that's going to come out. It's who you are that the problem is. So Mark 7, 15 through 16 says, Your souls aren't harmed by what you eat, but by what you think and say. And if you drop down to verse 20, it says, and then he added, it is the thought life that pollutes. For from within, out of men's heart, come evil thoughts of lust, theft, murder, adultery, wanting what belongs to others, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, pride, and all other folly. All these vile things come from within. They are what pollute you and make you unfit for God. So now we have to look at ourselves and see that we are unfit for God. Turn to Matthew. We're going back to Matthew 15, sorry. 13 and 14. I had to pick this back up. 
And if you look at this, this is the kindness of God. He says, every plant which my father in heaven did not plant will be pulled up, answered Jesus. So everything that is in you that God didn't put in you, he's going to pull it up. Everything that life put in us that God never wanted there, he's pulling it up. We make the pulling up hard because we hold on to the stuff so tightly and with so much affection that he's pulling and we tugging and it's just become so combative. Everybody just fighting. And God's like, I want that to be gone from you. And you're like, but God, that I'm not giving you. Now you want this? I'll gladly just sit that on your lap. But what you asking really of me, you can't have. And he's like, but it's going to get pulled up before you leave here. Because he hasn't lost one. So once you committed yourself to getting saved, maybe we didn't really count the cost when we got down in that little cold water. And came up, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. We didn't think about what we was really doing. But once you made that commitment, because it was a commitment you made, a covenant between you and God, he said, now I can't lose one. So you're going to become what I see you to be. That's why we still here. We keep praying even so. <sighs> He not, we should be, oh, thank you, Jesus, you haven't come. If we're just honest. I know we all want to feel we're ready. But if we look at this, we may not be all that ready. So, you know, Lord, come when you see fit that I'm ready. How about that? That's my prayer. Lord, when you see my heart is ready, go on and come. I'm not going to just say come right now. I haven't made it to that prayer yet. I know it's in there, even so, but I'm just going to say, because I want to go. I don't want to be left here. So if my heart is not right, just can you wait for me? I mean, you didn't done the 2,000 years, a couple of days. You, it, we shouldn't hurt the project, right? And we were all still going to get there. Jesus. <laughs> But we hold on our stuff like a mom gripping her baby when a crazy man is coming to try to grab it. I mean, we got a, we gripping. We not letting it go. Because if we could ever get a view that God has of what he's doing, and this is what I'm really praying for, that we can get his eyes. So that we can start seeing the world the way he sees it. And that we can start seeing our lives the way he sees it. So that it will be easier for us to release some things. So all this crap is coming our world, right? And stupid stuff, crazy stuff, some evil stuff. And we're like, well, God, what is it that you wanted me to get from that? And it's, it's, he's trying to take something out, put something in, but God, I'm stupid right now. I don't see what that is. 
So I'm holding on to what I know. Like, I know you, God, but I don't know you like that. I know my stuff better than I know God. So for me to release the very known to the, I'm trying to get to know you, it's a hard battle. God is not going to accept our way of thinking and being because we're comfortable with it. Just because we don't want to let it go doesn't mean he's going to finally just say, all right, y'all get to keep it. Come on to heaven. He's going to pull it up. And he's going to pull it up by the root. So there is no potential for it to grow back. The brain and the heart are in relationship with each other. Your thoughts produce your behaviors. If you don't destroy the thoughts, we will be like Lot's wife and we will look back. Truth be told, we really are all Lot's wife. We have all looked back, but because we have grace and mercy, we have not been destroyed. Only reason, because we're just, he's just that good. So we have to, you know, look at our walk with God in a very realistic way. We've got to stop putting ourselves on such a high pedestal believing we're so saved and we're so ready to go home. We may not be ready. I mean, I don't think I'm ready today. I'm, I'm going to get there. But, you know, and then thank God he's presenting me. I don't want him to have to do so much artistry work. You know, I mean, he's putting me before the father and saying, I don't want to be a painted mess. I would like to go with no makeup on at all. You know, like, gee whiz. Go to Romans 12 and 2. Because when you look at this stuff, then you're just a little disappointed in yourself. Just a little. You get a little disappointed in yourself because you realize, God, I thought I was doing something. <sighs> Romans 12 and 2. It says, do not conform yourself to the standards of this world, but let God transform you inwardly by a complete change of mind. Then you will be able to know the will of God what is good and is pleasing to him and is perfect. We want to know God's will for our life. Like we pray that, Lord, show me your will for my life. The only way we're going to see that is if we allow God to transform our mind. He's never going to show us his will with our crappy mind. So we keep saying, God, won't you show it to me? Because if you show me the will, then I would have the faith. I would be able to walk the walk. And he's saying, because your mind is so vile, I cannot put my pureness in there. I got to clean the mind up first. Then I'm going to give you the will. Step one, transforming the mind. Step two, you get my will. 1 Corinthians 2 and 16 says that we have the mind of Christ. We have been given his mind. God wants to empower us with his thoughts. 
Can you imagine what God's thoughts are? He wants you to have his thoughts. Like the thought is there before the action occurs. He wants to let you know before he does the action what he's thinking. I mean, that's something you could get. Because the mind is already there. It's just, it's sitting there. Our little crap is sitting here. And he's like, I can't merge them. I'm holding this for you. to. Could you just let lose the life? Because our life is really comprised of our thoughts. Of our mind. This, this is all our life is. Lose your life. I'm going to give you the life I want you to have. Because if you don't lose it, you don't get me. And I don't think that one thing he's going to budge on. Don't think he's budging on that. Why do we choose our own way? Like we've got to really think about this. Why am I choosing my way? What is my way giving me? It's giving me some payoff, right? Because we do nothing over and over again without a payoff. How is my life paying me? What currency works for you? And why do you think that currency is far better than God's currency? I think a main reason we don't give it all to God is because we want to be strong. For me to do God's way, I got to get weak. Our world takes pride and strength. When catastrophe hits, our first response is to be strong. No matter what happens, man up. But that is the way of the world. Be not conformed to the way of the world. This thought is ingrained in us from children. We teach when they babies, toughen up. Little child fall down, they start crying, I'll shake it off. My knee is hurting. Shake it off, you'll be okay, walk it. We don't want any at two, you can't be weak at two. So if you can't be weak at two, you know you can't be weak at 42. And then it's even harder for men. Because a weak man, we like, uh, uh, uh. Ugh, that's really nasty. So th- then that's a whole nother thing. And then we come into the church, yet we push strength. We push, be strong. So when God asks us to be weak, we fight this all the way. We are like Lot's wife, and we look back at strength with affection. And we pray and ask God to take away the thing that makes us feel weak. Why don't he take it away? Because I want you to feel weak. Oh, God, take it away. No, you, you praying for the wrong thing. Give me strength, Lord. Strength endure. Strength to fight. In our mind, that, sound, that made good sense. Let me push through it. We don't pray for God to help us embrace our weakness. But let me be strong again. Go to 2 Corinthians 12. Back there. Verse 8, 
This was very, very mind-boggling. Hmm. My brain is not around all this. I'm just giving it to y'all, so we all in this together. Not a step above you. It says, three times I called upon the Lord and besought him. This is Paul talking. And I begged that it might depart from me. But he said to me, my grace, my favor and loving kindness and mercy is enough for you. It is sufficient against any danger and it enables you to bear the trouble manfully. For my strength and power are made perfect, fulfilled and complete, and show themselves most effective in your weakness. Therefore, I will all the more gladly glory in my weaknesses and infirmities, that the strength and power of Christ may rest. And that means to pitch a tent over and dwell upon me. So for the sake of Christ, I am well pleased and take pleasure in infirmities, insults, hardships, persecutions, perplexities, and distresses. For when I am weak in human strength, then I am truly strong, able, powerful, in divine strength. Shut up. Okay, so I'm going to read that from the message translation. That was the amplified. I just loved how they broke all of that down. So I'm going to grab the last part of 7-2, verse 7. It's the, this is the message translation. It says, I was given the gift of a handicap to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Satan's angel did his best to get me down. What he, in fact, did was push me to my knees. No danger then of walking around high and mighty. At first, I didn't think of it as a gift and begged God to remove it. Three times I did that, and then he told me, my grace is enough. It is all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. Once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. Now I take limitations in stride and with good cheer. These limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, opposition, bad breaks. I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. The message. Kind of hard to take all that in. So I had to read you the commentary on this because I couldn't come up with that. Because I told you I'm right where you are, so I got to get a little help on this one. This is such a weighty thought. And it's even heavier if we can make this our mindset. So from Barnes Notes, it's one of these commentaries. This is what he says. It is one of the instances in which the fervent prayer of a good man, offered undoubtedly in faith, 
was not answered in the form in which he desired, though substantially answered in the assurance of grace sufficient to support him. It furnishes, therefore, a very instructive lessons in regard to prayer and shows us that we are not to expect as a matter of course that all our prayers will be literally answered and that we should not be disappointed or disheartened if they are not. It is a matter of fact that not all the prayers, even of the spiritual and of those who pray having faith in God as a hearer of prayer, are literally answered. Thus, the prayer of David, 2 Samuel in 12, was not literally answered. The child for whose life he was so earnestly praying for died. So the Savior's request was not literally answered. The cup of suffering which he so earnestly desired should be taken away was not removed. Christians pray with passion and with faith for the removal of some tragedy that is not removed, or for something that they regard as desirable for their welfare, which is then withheld. Some of the reasons why this is done are obvious. One, the grace that will be imparted if the tragedy is not removed will be greater value to the individual than would be the direct answer to his prayer. No, we don't want to believe that. I don't really want to take on the fact that you're going to impart extra grace to me, but I got to keep the tragedy. I think that's unfair. When you're a God that could take the tragedy away, why would you want that to stay with me? He thinks his grace is pretty spectacular. <laughs> Number two, it might not be for the good of the individual who prays that the exact thing should be granted. Though we think this would make my life better. He says you don't know. You see it as making your life better. He's saying you have no idea if I gave you that, what would happen? but I know me. You see, I know me. I know what I can handle. I know what you can take away and I'll be okay with. Number three, God has often some better thing in store for us than would be the immediate answer to our prayer. Who can doubt that this was true for Paul? The promised grace of Christ as sufficient to support us is of more value than would be the mere removal of any bodily affliction. But we don't believe this. I don't want extra grace. I don't want to see your strength perfected. Can I have it unperfected <laughs> and just <laughs> and be okay with that? So he goes on with, my grace is sufficient for thee. He said, is a much better answer than it would have been to remove the tragedy, and one that seems to have been entirely satisfactory to Paul. The meaning of the Savior is that he would support him, that he would not suffer him to sink exhausted under his trials, 
that he had nothing to fear. The infliction was but indeed removed, but there was a promise that the favor of Christ would be shown to him constantly and that he would find his support to be ample. If Paul had this support, he might well bear the trial. And if we have this assurance, we may welcome affliction and rejoice that tragedies are brought upon us. It is a sufficient answer to our prayer if we have the solemn promise of the Redeemer that we shall be upheld and never sink under the burden of our heavy woes. Do you want that? Do you want to have the amazement of God, to have a testimony in your tragedy that God upheld you, that God never let you sink, no matter how heavy it was, you still floated. Do you want that or do you just want the thing removed? And this is what the pull and push is about, is that he's saying what I want to give you Though you don't think it's of great value, me, I have to let you keep it. It's the only way you're going to see me. You keep praying you want to see me. We sing, show me your glory. Let me know your power. You can only get that when you're weak. So my strength is made perfect. That is, the strength which I impart to my people is more commonly and more completely manifested when my people feel that they are weak. It is not imparted to those who feel that they are strong and who do not realize their need for divine aid. It is not so completely manifested to those who are vigorous and strong as to the feeble. It is when we are conscious that we are feeble and when we feel our need of aid, that the Redeemer manifests his power to uphold and impart his purest constellation. I count it a privilege to be afflicted if my trials may be the means of my more abundantly enjoying the favor of the Redeemer. His presence and imparted strength are more than a compensation for all the trials that I endure. Do we love God like this? Do we really think he's this grand? Because your constellation prize is him. We don't really want the constellation prize. I don't really want Jesus like that. I want the Jesus that I can manufacture. I want the one that makes me feel good. Because we've just replaced, you know, all of our other stuff that made us feel good with Jesus. So we feel like, Lord, if I gave you that stuff, because I had a fine time. I was feeling a little happy out there, doing my thing, had a little joy. If I give you those things, you ought to give me that same good feeling. Why would I exchange that good stuff for tragedy? Are you serious? The suffering of Christ? I'm, I'm giving up that? And you wonder why people go back. It's not so much that, oh, I just hate Jesus. It doesn't quite equate in our brains. It seems a little unfair. 
we go in, we get sold almost a bill of goods. That, oh, you come over here, you're going to have life everlasting, full of glory. We're going to be happy. We're going to be singing God's praises. And then you get slapped in your face with all this stuff that's trying to create character in you. I don't have to have character out there. If I do my thing my way, I don't have to have character. I just make it happen. The world doesn't really value character. And unfortunately, the church doesn't either. Because if we value character, we would. He said he took some pleasure. No, lie there yet. But he took pleasure in his infirmities. Paul, you okay? I mean, what thing did Paul have? What kind of Jesus did he know? I need to meet that Jesus. That when Jesus spoke to him, and we all need God to speak to us when we end the tragedy, right? Lord, I need a revelation in the tragedy. But when he spoke to him and his answer was no, flat out, what you're praying for, you're never getting. Right then, we would have been like, we would have got up, right? The prayer ended. We wouldn't listen to the and. He said, you're not getting it ever. You shall keep that. But what I will show you is me. And Paul said, oh, that's enough for me. If I get you, then everything that I have to endure and go through is worth it. Oh, help me get there. <sighs> because you think about that, how much easier would our lives be? The toil that we often go through is because I can't see Jesus. And the Jesus, the real Jesus, is not what I want. And so my prayer for all of us is that the Lord transform our minds, that he reveal his will for our lives, and he help us embrace our weaknesses so that we can see his strength and power perfected in us. Now, saying that prayer, I don't know what's coming. I don't know what he's going to show me. A little scary, to be honest. But I think I do want to know him. I, 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 the glimpse that I've gotten of him is pretty amazing. And I'm going to have to just trust that if I give into my weaknesses and allow myself just to be weak, I'm going to get something for that. We have to know the voice of God so that when you're praying, you can hear him. We have to pray for wisdom and understanding and allow God to show us what he wants to impart to us. If we stay in the stage of why did you let this happen? I don't see how this is going to work for my good. If you love me, then you wouldn't allow me to feel this. Even I could have got this lesson in another way. These are all words that I have spoken. 
<sighs> hmm. We miss hearing God's voice because we just are bumping our gums, telling him that you're wrong. For you to make my life look this way, you were wrong. He's saying no. Mm. We miss the revelation for our lives. If we get stuck in the anger and the bitterness, we miss the lesson. So every, all the crap that's come, we've got to somehow get a revelatory view. God, show us what you want to reveal to us about us. And I'm going to end with this. We need to recognize how far we are from home. I think we believe we're doing much better than what God sees. In lieu of all this, right? Huh. What God wants for us is very, very deep. We're living just on the surface. This stuff can only be understood and digested from a spiritual position. The carnal mind cannot take this on. We just can't. So, like, for us to understand this, we've got to say, God, you've got to open up that revelatory sense so that I can get this. And then put it down in my heart. And don't leave it up to me to get it. Can you just please give it to me? But if made to think, uh, me think about the prodigal son, and he had all the wealth of his father, and his father gave him his portion, and he went and blew it all. How much has God given us? His very essence is in us. We are literally one with Christ. We are one. As the Father is with the Son, how hard we hold on to oneness and the amazement of that. We are the same. And we have blown it like this. That I'm holding on to me when God is in me. What really are we giving up? We live just like the prodigal son. We sitting in the pig's pen. When do we come to revelation that why am I in this pig pen? When my father has everything. And he would gladly give me whatever I have need of. Why am I in the pig pen? What I have need of. Not what I want, desire, can see my, what I have need of, he will give me. When do we look at ourselves and say that I need to go back home and run to the Father and say, I have sinned against you? And then please let me come back this time. Hmm. I know I'm always speaking about how far we are away. I'm not here to really beat up on you guys. I know it seems like that's all I do. Hmm. Always pushing us to look deeper. Good night. See who we are, where we really are in Christ. But I think not until we face the hard truths will we ever truly become who and what God has destined us to be. And I think we want it all. 
We wouldn't be here if we didn't want it all. People don't go to church every week because they don't want it all. They want it. We just not quite making it happen. But there's a desire in our heart. We want Jesus. Lord, we really do. You're just stupid. <sighs> I want the more, the abundant, the exceeding. Don't you guys want to see what that just looks like? Just here on earth. When he says that you can have it, I want to see it here. I want the peace beyond understanding. I don't want another night that I'm, I'm stressed. I don't want another night of being frazzled and wondering how is this going to work out and, and what's this. I don't want another night of that when he said that I could have peace beyond my understanding. Why don't I have that yet? Why don't I have joy unspeakable? Where is my full of glory? And once we realize who we have become, we have to run back home, realizing that he is waiting in the road for us and has prepared everything for our arrival. With all the children he has, he misses you. Everybody that, the people that do get it, right? He got a whole bunch of people up in glory that's just praising him. He got people down here doing the thing. But he misses you. He's saying, when are you going to come back home to me? I'm, I'm waiting for you. I want you back. The faith, the love, the trust you once shared, we got off the road somehow, right? Life happened and it screwed us. He, he never wanted that thing to make you leave him. He knew it was bad. He knew it was hard, but he never wanted that thing to make you leave him. We have to go and discover what that thing or those things are that changed us. What happened that made you go off course? When you had high faith, when everything seemed okay, when you were in this world in a nice way, what happened? He needs you to go back there and find that thing. And I was, I, I've been praying and, you know, this, God showed me this because I was like, and forgive me if I cry, but um, you guys all know about how much I've struggled with fear and just not feeling safe in the world. And uh, I was like, I need to know what happened. Because I know there was a time I didn't feel that way. There was a time when I was just, I can remember being young and always being just, just life happens. Whatever comes, comes. It's your time to go, it's your time to go. Whatever happens in life, it's your, it's your destiny. You just, and I remember, I mean, like I was young saying this stuff, right? And um, I just, I needed to know where did I lose my faith and picked up fear. Um, and the thing was is that when he revealed it to me, you know, like we had this dialogue of, 
I'm so sorry. Um, he was like, I never meant for that thing to hurt you like that. Like what I had to do for, thank you, everyone that was involved in my plan and all that stuff was never about hurting you. And um, he, it showed me that the first infraction where I started wavering when I was, what, 15 or 16, when, uh, when Jaya died, and then Andre's little sister, who was four, died in a tragic accident. And I could not comprehend why a God would do that. And I see the effects of what it did to the family and being with him since I was 15, knowing what it did to him. And you just lose security. Then shortly after that, one of my good friends, her husband died and I saw her life fall apart. Like that death did not look to me do anything good for her, you know? Still today, she's not right, mentally, still not right. Um, and I can't, I couldn't, what, how is this? You are supposed to be a God that loves and takes care and makes things better. How is it this kind of crap in the world allows, how do you allow that to happen? I don't understand that. So it made me become very cynical and very, not so much untrusting of other people, but just, I think of God. Then, what, 21, my mother-in-law gets diagnosed with cancer. And I remember driving in the car and I couldn't even pray because I didn't believe in prayer. I'm like, you go do what you want to do. You are God that does what he wants to do. So I would like her to be healed, but I don't think me asking you to help her is going to make her get healed. She's dead. And there you go again. God, Lee. Then my mother, that good God. If all those combined fell on my shoulder. Oh my God, what is wrong with you? Like, who are you? You know, like, who are you to do this to people? That I, I can't, and I, I have to talk to him like this because I don't know how else to be. And I, and I, you guys, a lot of you guys heard my thing already when my, after my mom died and me sitting there and saying, you just really kind of foul. You know, like, you're going to somehow show me. <laughs> you got to show me something. And I remember when I finally went back home and I was laying the, on the floor just crying. And I said, God, if we're going to do this, you're going to have to show me who you are. I have nothing else. I am down to the very core of who I am. Show me. Now I can look at it and see. That that's when I surrendered to my weakness. 
Yeah, because since then, he's birthed this strength in me. And this journey has been a walk in my weaknesses. It has been me embracing the fact that I am nothing and that it's okay to be nothing and it's okay to be broken and sad and a mess and not know which way I'm going to go and to truly have to be like, you're going to have to do something because I've got nowhere else to go really. It's either me hanging on to you with a thread or me just going out, I guess, cutting the food, which probably wouldn't work for me either because I never really cut the food, but I could find a way. <laughs> Pretty resourceful, I say. Um, uh, and then it's been a lesson constantly of how messed up I am. This is why this is what I give you guys, because it's just... I have now seen God in a way I've never seen him. And life definitely has not been pretty and all patched up and beautiful. But uh, who he is is pretty amazing. And I have not made it far from it. But I'm getting there. But with that said... I have an exercise that I want us to do, and I haven't done exercises in a long time. But I want you guys to just go with me on this. Trust me a little bit. And before we do this, I, I just ask God that he open this up right now and reveal to us what we have blocked from ourselves and engulf this room with your love and safety and set us free in your power. Speak revelations to each of us and show us your will for us. So I want us, and this is just all a mental thing I want you guys to do, but I want you guys to <sighs> just take a breath and go with me. Um, I want you to look at what made you hard, what made you cynical or critical, distrusting and unforgiving, guarded, defensive, arrogant, Insecure, prideful, lonely, abandoned, closed, nervous, fragmented, afraid. Because we didn't start with these views in life. Some people got these views very early in life, when they were just kids. Some of us had hit a little older. Life did something to us to cause us to operate in this manner. And I want you not just to say to yourself what the thing is, but I want you to feel that thing and trust that you are safe. I want you to zero in on one infraction or tragedy and bring that one to your memory. Try to grab the first one. Close your eyes so you can visualize it. Relax your body and remember you are safe. 
truly allow yourself to go back to it. See yourself, how old you are. See who's around you. See the colors of the room. Smell the smells. Be there. Now see the offense happening. Feel the offense. Now I want you to see Jesus standing in front of you. See his loving eyes and his arms stretched open to embrace you. Now hand him the offense. Give the whole thing to him. Don't hold on to any of it. Now ask him to heal the holes that were created. Our offenses put holes in us and we fill them with the things that I named earlier. Ask him to remove those things, the resentment, the defensiveness, the criticalness, the fear, the abandonment, the nervousness, and ask him to replace it with his love and goodness and character. See each whole field with God. Now thank him and praise him for what he has done and believe that it is gone The scripture said, Jesus said, go. It shall be done for you as you have believed. And he was restored to health at that very moment. Jesus wants you to come home to him. Come back to his love. Be still and listen for his revelation for your life. Stay at his throne as long as you need until you hear from him. <laughs>